before we even get started, I got to go see if uh, IMDb, if the soundtrack to the movie Rio includes the song Rio. His name is Rio and he's an animated bird. The character is voiced by Jesse Eisenberg. What am I looking for? Soundtrack, trivia, goops, crazy credits, alternate version soundtrack. Uh, Sergio Mendez, whoop, there it is. Let me take you to Rio by Esther Dean. Hmm. Copacabana Dreams, Pretty Bird, Girl from Ipanema, Funky Monkey, Masquinana. It's a lot of uh, um, Brazilian music. Of course, we've got Hot Wings, parentheses, I Want a Party, performed by Will I Am. Oh my God. This is so this is 2011. So this is deep in the pocket of Will yeah. I Am solo reign of terror that includes songs such as T H E, the hardest <laughs> the ever. The hardest ever. Uh, no. No, Rio, Rio. Rio is shockingly not on this. It's a you know, it's a children's movie. A lot of Bossa Nova and a Will I Am song, but no Rio. Damn. Uh, missed opportunity, if you ask me. <laughs> I agree. Perhaps Duran Duran were like, no, no, we don't want uh, our cool, sexy song in this uh, this movie for for babbies. Too obvious. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get started. Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on bass guitar, it's Mr. John Taylor, bassist and founding member of 80s new romantic superstars Duran Duran. Taylor and his bandmates achieved wild success in the 1980s with keyboard-soaked new wave tracks of love and yearning, refining public image and pioneering music videos along the way. But Taylor and Duran Duran's 80s excess came with a price. And his personal journey took him to the brink of self-destruction. And today we'll be talking all about those wonderful double Durans through (laughs) his book, In the Pleasure Groove, Love, Death, and Duran Duran, a perfect rock memoir title. Oh, yeah. I mean, world class. World class. It's got to be something something cool but ominous, colon, and then three things. And then, you know, bo- bonus, you know, the pleasure groove. He's a bassist. So it's like he's, mm-hmm. he, it's musical. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's, it's sexy. Yeah. A groove is like, it could be a record groove, you it know, could be a record vinyl. Groove, yeah. Or the uh, groove of the music. Yeah, there's the music layers. Itself. It says pleasure in it. So, you know, you're going to get some, some sexy stories. And then love, love, death and Duran Duran reminds you yeah. that it's about Duran Duran, which might, you know, for some yes. people, maybe it's like, who's John Taylor? Kind of a nondescript name. I mean, honestly, cornering, just cornering right in and saying love and death. I mean, what the two, those are the two drives. Those are the two, those are the two drives. Yeah. So you, we, this book, uh, it's got it all. It's got it all. Or at cradle, least this title has cradle that. to grave, cradle to grave. John <laughs> Taylor. Uh, hi, Molly. How are you? Hi, I'm good. What's up? Not much still inside still inside <laughs> uh, thinking about thinking about Duran Duran one you know at the I was about to say when the first chance we get to you know really be outside uh, we'll, we'll record this at like a beer garden or something but that would be terrible audio quality no we can, we've done an outside one before we've we done an do outside one. one once and that was funny it was, it was fine yeah it was fine it was ambient ambient girlfriend yes I'm sorry I'm just counting <laughs> real quick uh I feel like I know it's going to be good when I'm on their Wikipedia page and under history, 
there are 13 different time eras that are oh, outlined. Oh, yeah. This is my favorite. Dread Dread's one of my favorite, you know, uh, formation and, and deformation. And like, there's one tab in there that's like, as trio, <laughs> like they'll get rid of like one guy for an album and then they'll bring one guy back, back but yes. another guy leaves and then they'll reunite as a whole and then someone else <laughs> yes. will leave. It's here, a nightmare. Here it goes. Five again, comma, decade in liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it's like 1978 to 1980. Formation in early years, 1981 to 1982. That's only, that's one year. Yeah. So I, what I'm intuiting is a lot goes on in this story. Yes. And it's all, I would say the bulk, the bulk of the narrative that I personally cared about was basically between like 1980 and 1985. Sure. Which, sure. I mean, that that is the height of the Duran Duran. Um, what, how do you feel about Duran Duran? Um, you know, generally positively, I like this kind of, um, you know, uh, synth and keyboard so- soaked 80s pop that still has a good like guitar uh, edge to it. So Hungry Like the Wolf and Rio, those are good songs. You yeah, know, I lump them in with like Human League and Depeche Mode. Uh, who are they're, they're contemporaries who are both also great. But, you know, I wouldn't necessarily ever go in and like listen to a whole uh, Duran Duran album as much as I would, you know, lump them in a big 80s synth wave synth rock playlist or something. Oh, yeah, you do a, a playlist on Spotify or yes. something. Sure. Yeah. So, but generally positively, I mean, uh, uh, no priors, but I appreciate that they exist. Great. And I know that they're uh, named after that Barbarella vil- villain. I was going to ask if you knew the, um, the origins of Duran Duran, which is uh, the character's name is Durand. Durand. Durand Durand. Spelled, you know, with, with an, extra an extra D, D, but they didn't obviously. Wise. Uh, you just Facebook. It's cleaner. It's cleaner. <laughs> take the take the D's take off the, the end. It's cleaner. I'm gonna be, or else I'm going to be swifting through the, the the record store being Durant Durant. Durant Durant. Durand Durand. Yes. Um, it's hard to go from, from D to D in different words. So you have to go Durand to Durand. <laughs> um, I don't, I didn't really know anything about the personal stories of Duran Duran, but I, I've been aware of them since I was a child and their songs were on the, the, you know, oldies radio station of the eighties, yeah. nineties and today, eighties, nineties and today. Um, they're a classic eighties, nineties and today band. Like those bands, they, you know, were, they existed in the eighties, the nineties and, and today. today. Uh, though all, <laughs> the only songs that you would hear from them are their eighties songs. Yes. It's just funny that all those bands that like slotted up from like starting in like 19, I don't know, like 78. Yeah. Uh, just, because of the the record, I mean, like I guess all those '60s and '70s bands uh, have been on the radio continuously ever since. But sure. it's just like that it, the, the idea of the '80s, '90s today, and just like putting a hit out in like 1981, and it's just like literally never re- leaves radio play. Right. I mean, yeah. are, uh, will there be a new format? The, that's it's like, like the syndication of, yeah. of pop music. Would there be like a new format that's like the the major hits the of 2000s, the 2000s, 2010s, 2010s and today. today? I mean, that's what, you know, this is me listening to music in the early to mid 2000s. So yeah, which is weird. Just the 80s, it just sounds like it should be 80s, like grocery store music, yeah. drugstore music. Yes. That's, I mean, you hear uh, Hungry Like the Wolf out in the aisles, like that's extremely lit, you know? Yeah. But uh, I think oh, yeah, I'm, I'm walking through the when I'm walking through the uh, the grocery store and I'm like, damn, I am hungry. <laughs> <laughs> like the wolf. Where's the frozen aisle? <laughs> I want a pizza like the wolf, like wolves do. Yes. Wolves love pizza. Most people don't know this. Um, I I, I want to say my mom was a big Duran Duran fan. That makes sense. Like because they did. That's the other thing. We'll talk about this is like they were kind of an early 
maybe the transitional link between the Beatles as boy band and like uh, new kids on the block leading into Backstreet Boys in sync as boy band. Sure. Because they played instruments, mm-hmm. but they did more boopy boppies or yeah. more synths. And then they specifically targeted at least at the beginning, like teen girl audiences mm-hmm. and built the mystique of like, oh, my favorite is Simon. Or like, my yes. favorite is John. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I was aware of them in that way too, that they were like, just, you know, a good looking bunch of boys. I'm looking up Duran Duran press photos and this is a good looking bunch of boys. Is this an unusually, I think we talked about before. Yeah. The jawlines. I mean, that's also the makeup was, was on point at the time too. The haircuts. Yeah. Ooh, boy. Howdy. The fits. Yes. The fits. Oh shit. This one. Oh my God. This is great. (laughs) I'm going to use this as a, the, the soon photo. They're in like, um, Mad Max. Uh, uniforms or like this seems to me to be clearly inspired by Mad Max. I'll, cool. tra- I'll chat this to you. Okay, but they uh, yeah, they they look they look they were cool. They sounded good and they looked cool. That's yes. basically what I knew what I knew about Duran Duran, but the, there's so much more. They kind of s- have like a almost like a what one direction would be trying to get. Yeah, at right totally, now. totally. So I mean, it, and I didn't know anything about John Taylor in particular. The only thing I knew about him is that his ex-wife mm-hmm. Amanda Decadene <laughs> uh, ended up with Nick Valencia from The Strokes. Wow! So she was young when she got with John, and then she was a bit of a cougar when she got with Nick Valencia, and they're still together. Wow! They well, got they got together in like two thousand two thousand or two thousand two. Talk about a type. Talk about bridging generations Two like, sc- you know, scream inducing boy bands playing musicians. Damn. Uh, uh, she sounds awesome. Yeah. Also, her daughter is a podcaster. Really? What <laughs> yeah. did she do? Did you get, her, get her on. Maybe. Her? No, kind of I think she's like a light, like, you know, like girl, like when girls are like lifestyle pot, like it's like, let's talk about our problems. You she's, know? she's not one of the uh, caller daddy girls. Is she? No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't aware of these people until until yesterday. Yesterday, um, uh, I'm not a stoolie. It is yes. It is. Is that is that even the right terminology? Being a, a stoolie, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, it is just another amazing thing of uh, Felix getting obsessed with barstool sports like six weeks ago, and then suddenly there are like six different art news articles uh, of, of or related to barstool barstool sports drama. Yeah, specifically I mean, podcast drama. Yes. Um. So let's yeah, let's get into John's life. Yes. The the two pins I wanted to point put in this book are one, he shares some really interesting music industry, like insider practices that I was not aware of. Ooh, I would love to hear that. Um, even even after reading so many books, like I was kind of like, whoa, this is crazy. And then John is also a really good at kind of nailing what the trends and aesthetics and like morals of the eighties are okay. Like great. He, he really had like a bird's eye view on it. And mm-hmm. I think he, th- those insights are going to be interesting as well. I mean, I will say I, we're kind of through the priors thing, but like the, the Rio album presentation with that illustration from that, that guy who did the illustration of all the pale girls, mm-hmm. uh, that is like, you know, that is a, a good, like eighties cocaine image. Yeah, you know, they might. I think maybe more than anyone else we've talked about so far are like quint quintessentially eighties. Yeah, like they kind of defined it yes. more than other people who maybe like slid in from the seventies or mm-hmm. like scooted out into the nineties. Yes, like, uh, like Guns N' Roses started in the eighties, but they to me are totally nineties. Yeah, um, 
and Hall Notes or maybe the other big like eighties group, but they were acted they were like doing R basically R and B stuff in their the seventies. And even in the late sixties they started their musical career. And then kind of morphed into an eighties yeah. band. Yeah. So they this is a they were right in the pocket. Right in the pocket. Right in the pleasure but like group. if you you know, if I was set designing like an an eighties guy a, a, like an apartment for a movie set in an eighty in the eighties and I wanted to signify like uh, you know, uh, this guy is a partier who who is probably at least cocaine related. I would have uh, the Rio album propped up in the back, like it was just put on the turntable. Yeah, and you know the gla- the glass coffee table. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly, yeah. and all yeah. the white furniture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's let's talk about John Taylor, whose name is actually not John. His name is Nigel. <laughs> Nigel, Nigel John Taylor. Nigel John Taylor. Ooh, uh, Nigel's a strong name. It is, but it came with its its hang up so in a little bit. Um, but he's born on uh, June twentieth, nineteen sixty, in Birmingham, England. Birmingham, England. Have you been to Birmingham? No, that was we were supposed to go there to, for just an afternoon uh, to interview Alan Moore, but we did not get down there. Um, I would like to go. It's like the it is like the big working class central UK city. Yes, second biggest city in the UK. I mean, these are easy easy facts. <laughs> uh, I, did, I didn't know it was the second big, biggest city in the UK. Yeah, uh, I, I he, imagine it, it as one gigantic working class brick factory. Basically, like the, it's a city that turns smoke into bricks. Yes, the there's this machine and it you know it goes through the little pipe yeah. and then yeah yeah, uh, but. John Taylor loved it. Like he's like, yeah. Why would you live in London? Way too much city. Birmingham, <laughs> perfect amount of city. I I get it. Um. So his his father was a a World War II vet. Uh. His mom was a homemaker who took him to Catholic church every day. Uh. He enjoyed you know his first kind of musical memory is like singing We Three Kings, which he described as a mantham. <laughs> A manly anthem. He's like, yeah, I like that one. It was like hard, like yeah, it's a real guess. boys tune. <laughs> real the the uh, three kings are really the bros of the New Testament, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're the barstool sports guys. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he doesn't like school. He has a hard time paying attention to school. He much enjoys. Uh, he would rather go to see music acts that come in mm-hmm. um, and talks a lot about. It a lot about that. He sees David Bowie. Roxy music is the big impression on him. Um, And he says he likes bands more than lone acts because two guys are more, maybe four or five. That was a gang. It was a cult and it was sexy. (laughs) He just likes, he just likes packs of boys. Just like so many boys. Three Kings. (laughs) It has to be at least three Kings. (laughs) One King worthless. Worthless. Do not put that in front of me. Now that's a party. Yes. Uh, and he also, you know, when he's a kid, he starts fantasizing about being, quote, maybe a little to the left of the main spotlight, unquote. So he's never, he's not trying to. He's a support player. He's He knows before he touches a base that he needs to be a bassist. A bassist, yes. Yes. I empathize with that energy. Just a little to the left. And you want to be in the mix, but you, you don't got to be all, all out front. Yeah. Um. So Brian, he's. Or, uh, Roxy music is also interesting because, you know, as much as, uh, you know, Bowie would be like, you know, the rock star group, I feel like latching onto Roxy music definitely means that you, you have a taste for the more esoteric. And even though he seems to identify with like, I, I want a gang. Of, like, it's funny to be like, I want a gang of boys and you're like, like Roxy music. <laughs> yeah. I want a gang of sexy boys. Yeah. I want to be one of them. Yeah. Not the main one, the other one. Yes. Uh, so he, the, 
the assembly of Duran Duran is like very scattered and they keep like auditioning. He just basically, it's one of those things where you're just like, I don't know, I want to be in a band, so let's start a band. Mm-hmm. And people kind of shuffle in and out. But the guy he knows the longest is Nick Rhodes, uh, who he has gone to high school with. Sure. And so this you know, is, is this like during high school that he's trying to put a band of together? high school, beginning of like a botched college attempt. Sure. And he's just kind of like, fuck academia. Like I like music. Let's start a band. Um, his first band is a punk band called shock treatment. A uh, good punk band name. Yeah. Uh, but the real like coalescing of the original Duran Duran lineup comes in the middle of this. It, there's a club in Birmingham called the rum runner. And there's two brothers who run it, uh, Paul and Michael Barrow. Mm-hmm. And they basically, they become their managers and the, the club becomes their like home base. Okay. But the Barrows go to me so far beyond management. They are buying them equipment with their own money. They're booking like they're they're booking shit like shows. They're obviously giving them full run of the space. They're hooking them up with like recording studio stuff. Like they're really They're trying to vertically integrate this band. And I think they got maybe a bigger percentage than a manager would normally get. Mm-hmm. And especially since there's two of them, like they're almost like members of the band. Or maybe weirdly more like bosses than a manager is. Yeah. But they, I mean, the the paying for instruments out of their own pocket seems to be the most like, they really believed in these guys. I guess they must have been very talented coming out of the gate. If you're like got two 18 year olds and you're running a club and you're like, shit, let me get you some <laughs> instruments. Like, I gotta get you. I, fuck, I gotta get. This is a valuable resource for me. I gotta get these good boys on stage. Yeah, here's a blank check. Get whatever you want. Um, so as they're they're kind of figuring out who they are and who they want to be, the biggest influence on John and his bass sound is hearing Chic everybody dance at a wine bar. He said the wine bars in Birmingham were where, where you got to listen to the really fun, interesting music. That's interesting. I would not have pictured Birmingham to have a strong wine bar. Uh, scene in the uh, late 70s yeah also i mean i guess i don't want this to come off the wrong way but like if you're like a dude and you're like you're in england in the late 70s and you're like i think i'm gonna go to a wine bar tonight like not like i'm gonna go to the pub with my mates or yeah and or, split or some fish the, and chips and watch the football game or down to the trade no. hall to to see the the punk show or no, anything but that probably just listening means, to disco sipping some wine that probably just means that uh taylor was uh was good at, at hooking up yes oh yeah totally um no he's a champ uh so Sheik, this is not the last that we will see or hear of Sheik. I I would bet. They are just, uh, they are an influence and they will become much, much more than that. Are we listening to Everybody Dance yeah. just in the background? A little, it's a little scene painting. Just imagine you, you and your rowdy mates uh, sipping on a nice Chardonnay uh, while Sheik is playing in the background. It's It's Birmingham. It's 1978. You're you're on the dole uh, <laughs> yes. because you know you told your parents that to, to get a you get a year of trying to be in a band and if the year doesn't work out, you know we'll see. Yes. Um, it's also around this time that uh, Nigel changes his name because the song "Making Plans for Nigel" great song basically like horrifies. It, it creates a really bad vibe for Nigel's, and he's like John Taylor sounds a little more rock star. Sure. Yeah. Uh, just maybe trying to de-Britishize de- de- himself a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Um, 
And the other, so th- at the time that this is, which is like the late 70s, like yeah. s- steering into the 80s, he says, uh, glamour came back, decadent empire dressing. Those were all <laughs> all in ca- or capitalized. Disco was winning the war on rock. Uh, and the way that he, I, I just like the way that he talked about like working with Dre Dread in the early days where he says, everyone was holding down their own corner, no bosses, no one needing to be told what their gig is by another. And they split all their songwriting credit five ways that's so how did they find the other guys just i don't know just people? auditioning and like word of mouth and stuff interesting what's funny is that they eventually i didn't know the names of the original lineup but their their names are literally andy taylor roger taylor john taylor nick rhodes and simon Lebon. so three taylors there's three taylors three that's kings. funny three kings <laughs> they are the three kings of duran duran uh that's that's very funny yes um one of their early tours, or I think their first tour actually ever, they were opening for a singer named Hazel O'Connor, who I had not heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bought the their managers bought the slot on the tour. <laughs> were you familiar with this as a practice? No, I did not know. Twenty thousand dollars for three weeks to open for this t- Hazel t- so O'Connor lady. They weren't getting paid; they were paying for it. They were paying to go on tour, and specifically the managers and one of the brothers uh, sold their flat to cover. the the tour (laughs) these managers sound wildly invested in this band well and honestly they were right like if if they could if good i don't know what's going to end up with these guys but if they were like the equivalent of what buying shares in duran duran (laughs) yeah that would have paid out yes yeah no it's like uh getting getting shares of uh uh amazon the way duff mckagan did yes uh before everyone knew or Starbucks or whatever he did. I don't know. But it would be funny if Duff McKagan was then managing Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Buying them espresso machines. I mean, I guess the, the, the way I imagine it, we, we just watched the movie Josie the Pussycats recently and the scene where Alan, uh, it's Alan Cumming, right? Yeah. Where Alan Cumming almost hits the girls with his car and then they're standing in the middle of the row with their instruments and he holds up the clear jewel case yes, of a exactly. CD and like puts them in the frame and it's like, oh shit, like yes. greatest band ever. I feel like that's maybe what the manager saw the first time they saw so, all five Duran Duran guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, damn. Uh, and now this I can work with. This is this is a, this is a boy I can get into. Um, they also sign with EMI very easily. Like they'd get some record label interest and they mm-hmm. just get a record deal and they see this you know, is a, record I've said some this music so many and, times on the, on this thing, but this is always the part that is, is like frustrating to hear where it's just like, and then we just got a record contract, right? Yes. <laughs> right. Especially since now I really don't, I'm not super plugged into the mechanics of how like, you know, indie musicians today get record deals. Yeah. I feel like they're easier to get than ever, but the record deal is like, yeah, we are giving you no advance money, no like any kind of like concept. support or yeah, promotion. Like we will, cr- you're really just distribution and we, some very limited marketing. We should really, um, we should, we should try to, a uh, 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 lockdown an interview with somebody who is willing to dish at least a little bit about I'm curious the, the pure mechanics of that process like literally what dinners you had to go to or like if that's even a thing anymore right about Scout, mo- scouting like scouting like how who did who approached whom who got somebody who made the first contact yeah I'm very um, curious because in, in this time it literally was Duran Duran would like play a club show a label scout would be there people would shake hands you would go into a you know boardroom at EMI they would you know give you champagne or whatever they check your mouth and everything like a show horse (laughs) (laughs) and then then be like good good to go 
Yeah, they, they you know they'd measure your your like leg to ratio to body. Yes. Uh, uh, w- welcome on board. You get a thousand dollars every month, and don't ask about the album sales. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So yeah, they. I don't know. They 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 sign and they record their first album. Let's listen to some music from their first album. Let's listen to some Durant Durant. This would be 1981's Duran Duran, right? Correct. Oh, well, you know what's on this? A, a song that we, we both love. The classic, Girls on Film. Yes. That was actually, I think, one of the first songs that they wrote together. Uh, I do have to say that I do really specifically in Duran Duran songs love uh, Taylor's uh, busy but not in a bad way bass lines. Yes. And you can hear the chic in there, right? Yeah. Yes. Girls on film. Very aesthetic. Yeah, I love I love the song. <laughs> I love the, this bright new wavy, uh, um, the verses and everything, and then I just love that that descending uh, chorus line. Yeah, that simple three word chorus. Yeah. Yeah. I also like. I don't want to be. I don't want to be rude. But I feel like Sahil Laban is not necessarily a good singer, but he's 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 got he's got a vibe. I yeah. don't know, like he's not like he doesn't have the range. Like he's not trying to like overdo it. It's more like kind of shouty, simple. Yeah. Well, I feel like his his voice sounds like the music, and it is kind yes. of consistent. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like a, a specific like a tone. I also love the, uh, the recording one might style. Call it a patina. <laughs> Sorry. I also just love. The recording style of this, where there's a lot going on musically, it's like the guitar, dr- drums, bass, obviously, and then like several different key parts, but you can kind of purely hear everything that's going on. Nice little production effects, like the phaser on that drum fill. Like, honestly, just the bass and drum part of this, almost you could take out and almost put in like a gang of four song. Sure. Well, I was saying I was listening to the full Rio album yesterday when I was cooking, and I asked, I was like, is, is Duran Duran New Order for, for stupid people? And you said they're, it's New Order for happy people. Yes. Like, it's a little less, it's not very dark. I think they probably have some dark tunes. Yeah, but it's, but they're it's big pretty hits, buoyant, yeah. yeah. All right, this song, this song rocks. Yeah, we got, we got something going on. Um, they make a music video, which is that that's early. Yes, um, they are they are music video pioneers. And then yeah, yeah, they're one of the first, almost 
to the point where it eventually starts annoying them to have the reputation as a video band. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, that that wasn't them being like, what if we had a visual component yes. to, to market and spread this song? It was their label being like, go to Australia and make a video. They'll like it down there. <laughs> <laughs> and they did like the, I think they went to number one first in Australia before any other country. Um, uh, yes, which is probably why they ended up doing this, this fucking Mad Max uh, photo shoot that I was uh, that I G chatted to you earlier because they were big in Australia. John Taylor later says that uh, he likes Australia because Australians are like British people without the inhibitions. <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, that, that tracks. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they they're they're getting some some moderate success in England and elsewhere. John, you know, they're they're partying a bunch. John definitely is partying the hardest of all the dudes. And he, he basically starts kind of getting into a pattern that when he's not doing anything, when mm-hmm. he's not busy, he feels extremely like lonely and restless. So he's always trying to just like go out and schedule like, events, do fill stuff. up his social yes. social calendar. And, you know, more on that later. Um, <laughs> and then also, yeah, part of, part of the reason that they got so much attention so early on is because they did target teen press. Mm-hmm. So their heartthrob images yeah. were, were cultivated that people could then, you know, pick their faves and get the posters and whatever, whatever the, the eighties version of tiger beat was, or did yes. tiger beat exist in the eighties? I don't know, but they, they had some British, there's a name of some British, uh, rag mm-hmm. that I mean, similar yeah, knowing, uh, British press in general i'm sure there's a bunch of of things yes uh and this this created of course durandemonium is was that an official thing that is what john taylor said i don't know if it is a a thing thing but he he called it durandemonium durandemonium Durandemonium. yeah and uh, i think if you were you were a fan you're a durandemaniac i don't know duraniac uh dur Deranged? Dur- <laughs> Dur- deranged. Duran deranged. Duran deranged. Durange deranged. What do you do if you're a British band and you're trying to get successful? You go and do your American tour. Yes. So they leave for America. They go to America. Uh, one avenue of success for Duran Duran is through, this is something that I was not aware of existed. There was a chain, a network of video clubs called Rock America. Ooh, this and is these not are, something I've ever heard of. These are music video you know, cl- like it's, they said mostly large ballrooms that had taken to projecting videos on giant screens above the dance floor. That sounds cool. I would like that. Uh, yeah, same. Although I'd get really distracted and probably watch the music videos more than, but then it's nice because if you're taking a break from dancing, you have something to do. Yes, absolutely. You don't and have then to it gives come a vibe with, for everything. You don't have to come up with a, a small talk. What was the date. name of this thing? Rock America. One word. R- Rock America. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I, did, it was I a didn't chain of clubs, a, chain, a network of video clubs in America. Uh, I had never heard of this. Yeah, I, I would have frequented it. Uh, music videos is a subscription service for professional disc jockeys based in New York City. What would like to look at look into this? Maybe a subject for a uh, a future short. Yes. Um, Duran Duran went so far as to create a, a remix of or a, a different mix of girls on film specifically for video clubs. Interesting. So like they're playing the, mm-hmm. the kind of industrial game. Right. Um, and they're also they're looking fabulous at every kind of stage of their being. John is describing their fashion. And this is this is my favorite one of the early 80s. Uh, Simon had taken to wearing military style suits by Anthony Price and a scarf tied around his head as a headband. Actually, everyone was wearing headbands. The suede pixie boots were still working with trousers tucked in <laughs> sleeves 
rolled up. <laughs> so the they were doing like the Miami Vice, the Miami look. Vice, yes. and he he name checked Miami Vice at being like I think we influenced the 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 Miami yes. Vice look. Uh, I'm trying. I'm I'm just going through press photos of them. Just searching Duran Duran press photos is a rich vein of of cool uh, images from this time. Yes. So they yeah they're obviously the the fits are extremely important. Yes. And sleeves rolled up. Sle- yeah, that's the, the the suits with the the sleeves pushed up. God, how the like traditionalist. Bu- Imagine how Don Draper would have reacted to seeing a suit with the sleeves, sleeves pushed up. up. Uh, I would like to bring that back. I'm a big fan of. Oh, here we are. Classic. Oh, this is extremely authentic. Uh, another a, a perfect look of, of of this of this Miami Vice look in the wild, mm-hmm. which is honestly not something that you even have ever seen that much. It's mostly seems like it existed only in media, only as a parody of itself. Right. But the, this is the, the source material in a way. The Perhaps there was another band that pushed their sleeves up first. I, I'm not sure. I'm going to start doing this. I need to buy uh, some white uh, blazers with uh, wide sleeves. Yeah. You got to keep the sleeves, you know, yes. you got to have room to, to shove. Right. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're vibing. They, they break or they're getting bigger in America John sleeping with a lot of women. Sure. Um, also to assuage his his loneliness. Uh, he notes that. So <laughs> the, on the tour itinerary, they on printed on every page of the tour itinerary is the age of consent in the city or state or country that they are in. <laughs> Which so is like, again it, something I had never heard of people <laughs> doing, but I kind of think that maybe more people should have done yes, that. Yes, perhaps. That is also, uh, you know, extremely creepy. <laughs> It's, it's like it's creepy, but it is kind of like pre- pre- preventative. I'm just getting. I'm imagining getting your tour handout from your tour manager. That's just, that's just like you know address of venue, phone number of venue, address of nearest hotel, phone number of hotel, check in time, check out time, confirmation number, age of consent in the nearest area code. Done. Co- covered. We covered all our bases. And then also you would get in your hotel room, you would get a sheet shoved under your door. That's like today is like June 1st. It is a Friday. It is a show day. Like call time is at five. And he jokes. He's like, I honestly, I was touring so much that I would have appreciated like your name is John Taylor. (laughs) Uh, honestly, I should fucking you make should those start for doing that the next for the- time if we ever do a Chapo tour again. Um, I'm sure you will. And I did note, I once I saw that he noted that I was like, that'd be a great tool to to have. You just yeah, yeah. have to have access to a printer. Which most hotels Which do, most in their business have. center. Yes. In the business center. In the business center of the hotel, you may print. Uh, so yeah, he's he's... He's touring. He's fucking. He says, I didn't want to be lonely and the drugs ensured I never was. I'm a pinup on thousands of bedroom walls, but the fear of loneliness is turning me into a cokehead. <laughs> so, I mean, a good way to always have people around you who want to spend t- more time with you, <laughs> regardless of the quality of people, is Big to facts. have uh, a tremendous amount of cocaine yeah, with you. That is true. Uh, all right. 1982, their next album, Rio, even bigger than their first one. Uh, John says that everyone was, you know, extremely just in, in perfect vibration with each other. We had become the perfect band. <laughs> so he's quite proud of of their work on Rio. Should we listen to? Uh, we should listen to fucking Rio. Yeah. He also asks, is Rio the greatest album cover of the 80s? Discuss. <laughs> Does he say that? Yes. He knows. My man's saying it because he know. He He's not, you know, he's no blushing, uh, uh, ingenue or whatever. He knows he's good. 
It. I love that discordant synth of the beginning. <laughs> Guitar hits. <laughs> but it works. Love that that reverbed out guitar tone in the in the back, and then when it comes back in and melds with the synth line. Yeah, we love, I, we love, I it. love it. It's great. Yeah, Do you want to pick maybe a a, a song we don't know off yeah, of yeah, Synth with the uh, the slide between them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they can get moodier. Yeah. Just the the. Those percolating arpeggiated synths just in the back of, of all these songs. Nagel. N A G E L. Robert Nagel, is that the guy? What? Who, who does the. Uh, uh, yeah, he's the guy who does the, those, those, those extremely. No, not Robert Nagel. Patrick Nagel. He's the guy okay. who does does those those iconic '80s art prints. Ah. Oh. It's good. Yeah. It's in the groove. Great bass. Great bass. Great bass, John. Great bass and great bass tone. Oh. Uh, Patrick Nagel, a Southwestern Ohio king, born in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, wow. Ohio excellence. Ohio excellence. All right, this is, this is uh, Save a Prayer off Rio. I prefer their upbeat numbers. True. It's still grooves. Nice fade. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it's around this time with the release of the second album that John meets his musical heroes, uh, Nile Rodgers... Tony and Thompson and Bernard Nard Edwards from Chic. From Chic. They uh he sees them backstage at a show. 
minus Bernard. Uh, but he he obviously meets him later because Bernard produces uh the did Bernard yeah Bernard produced their Bond song their James yes, Bond song View to we'll, a Kill we'll we'll, we'll talk about we'll that. talk about that in a little bit but uh Niall and Tony invite John to hit up Studio Fifty Four where yeah. long term listeners of this pod will know that Niall Rogers spent most of the eighties in the women's bathroom. bathroom. Doing cocaine. Uh, holding office hours. Holding office hours at Studio 54. Uh, when the crew all walks in to Studio 54, the DJ plays a Duran Duran song. Hell yeah. That must feel freaking awesome. That must... Yes, exactly. You meet, you meet the people who you heard in the wine bar a few years ago. All of a sudden, now you're on their it's level. Like, yeah, what is that? Like five, four years? Four years ago? That's like the thing. That. This is this is, ex- timeline is accelerating. Yes. Like, it's kind of wild. Um. They and then you get to go to Studio Fifty Four and they play your song. Wow, that that rocks. And then you hang out in the girls' bathroom. <laughs> the with Nile Roger. <laughs> oh, get get me in a time travel machine. I would like. I would. I want to I go would to like there. To, yeah, I would like it would to be go. an honor to merely wash my hands while Here. I know that Nile Rogers was was chilling in the in one of the stalls. <laughs> anyway, uh, Duran Duran. They want a little. They really want to break in America. Like they've got a little attention, but they're not quite there yet. For sure. Uh, the their Even managers, after Rio, like like Rio and Hungary, like the Wolf weren't huge hits in America. Well, they were, you know, England first, but then they their managers, the, the Barrows, the those bros, they read the Abraham's report. Are you familiar with what this is? No, what is I this? didn't know what this was either. The Abraham's report was a market research document that analyzes appealing sounds to American FM radio programmers. Okay. So they would literally be like, you know, right now people are responding to ACDC like guitar tones. Okay. And so they literally remixed Rio to be more FM radio friendly and it worked. Wow. Isn't that nuts? That is crazy. It's not the like, I don't think it's the only thing, but like they, they have a more literally radio friendly set. Like you talk about radio friendly sound. Yeah, They just like change the presets and re-release the song. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? That is crazy. Uh, I was, I, I don't know if I can find those right away, but I would love to hear to the, to the uh, one, two of, of British Rio versus American Rio. Right. Yeah. Um, but even as they, so they, they're truly blowing up in America. Uh, but John is getting a little erratic because he's, his partying is a little out of control. Out of control. Um, he recounts one night in 1983 where they just have like a bad night. And one of the other band members gets into a fight and he gets jealous because the girl that he had just hooked up with the day before is like tending to his wounds. Mm. So he punches a light fixture and hurts his hand. Oh no, not your hand. That's what you use to play the bass. That's his bass hand. I mean, they're both, both his bass, bass hands. hands. Yes. Uh, so that's not great. He's also somehow still, even though he's making a bunch of money, uh, when he's not on the road, he's living at home in Birmingham with sure. his parents. Uh, not great. Um, because get, he just, get a, get a flat mate. It's a real, like kind of arrested development that like, I think he's kind of like frozen at like 18, yeah. 19. Well, yeah, he went from 18 to being a world famous musician. Yeah. Or a fairly famous musician. Yeah. And just like never fit. He just like didn't have any coping skills. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he's still at home, which is obviously awkward when he realizes at home that he, he had caught some, a case of crabs that he got on tour. And, and now it was father, in his childhood bed. And now, and now he's hanging out at home. And so his father was, he told his dad and his dad was like, Oh yeah. Um, when I was a prison, <laughs> when I was a prisoner of war in a Nazi uh, POW camp during world war two, we would always pick the lice off of each other's, you know, uh, s- skins and 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 junk when we were all hanging out there together. So this is uh, this is kind of a, a tangent, but I thought it was 
really interesting. He talked, his father never talked about his war experiences, especially when the kid was a child. Like he was the typical taciturn British step upper lip until like, the concept of crabs came around. Yeah. That, that kind of opened the door. But then he, he basically later found out not only was his dad a, a POW, he was, you know, the Lambsdorff death, death March. Uh, not off the top of my head near the end of world war two uh the germans were basically they had all these pow's from random bullshit and they you know the the russians were closing in so they marched all their like twelve thousand people Mm -hmm. through the winter of 1945 like through central europe to try to like get them out of the zone yes and then they got met by the allies Mm -hmm. and then the lucky ones survived and then the unlucky ones literally just like froze to death and died john taylor's dad was Part, part of that yeah jesus christ Isn't that fucked up that must be uh so um humbling humiliating uh, especially learning about it in that in that context of be of being like i've, I've got crabs on the road from playing bass in my band and your da- dad's like oh yeah i did that when the nazis will put me on the death march out of soviet russia right it's you know it's the same it's a real equalizer in yeah, some ways it's, it's like, all the same set like, of yeah, you might be doing very good at being Lice. in your band, but your your dad uh, uh, sur- survived uh, being captured by the Nazis in Russia. In yeah, Russia. and like never really talked about it. Um, I'm sure he right. was proud of you, though, Nigel. Sure, sure. So as we get to the mid 80s, excess really takes over as excess is, is yes. want to do. Uh, they're they're recording their next album. They're like, honestly, fuck England. Let's go to the south of France. Okay, sure. To record this next album. It seems like, uh, you know, uh, like the, the, the far side cartoons where he just sets up, you see a, 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 an image and the captions just trouble brewing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, go to the south of France. All the equipment in the the studio is breaking and it takes forever to like get new equipment like sent and like yeah, service sure. like it's just it's wasteful and, and time consuming. Mm, fuck the south of France. Like let's go to uh, Montserrat. I, I think that's the I don't know if it's the Caribbean or West Indies. I'll look it up. I'm geographically challenged here a little bit. Uh, that is a British overseas territory. Uh, okay, in the yeah, it's in the it's in the Caribbean. It's, it's near like uh, St. Kitts and Antigua and all that stuff. Anyway, so so they go there. Also having a very expensive time. Is there a recording studio there? I know, right? <laughs> like, you know, re- reels are breaking and like things are getting sent in. They also said, you know, I don't know how much how interesting the Caribbean is. We are all going to get. New Sony Trinitron television sets and brand new video cassette players and all stocked up on VHS movies. In Montserrat? They shipped, Duran Duran all shipped their own televisions and VHS players <laughs> to the Caribbean so they wouldn't get too bored when they're recording on their, the third album. On their beautiful island together. Oh uh, my God. That's just, uh, that's wonderful. Also, just think of how, you know, TVs were so big. Now they're just the size of a little envelope, you know? Mm-hmm. Associated Independent Recording is an independent recording company founded in London by 1965 by George Martin mm, ah. with an outpost on Montserrat. There you go. I don't yes. know if it was that one. It probably the r- caption on the Wikipedia page. It shows a derelict building it shows how well this went is just shows pictures of a derelict building with a swimming pool with the caption ruins of the recording studio in Montserrat. May 2013. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, probably got hurricane all over. I yes, don't know. Exactly. That's so funny. Uh, John also, they, they're in Australia for a little bit. I think maybe to record some more. He gets into the drug MDA. 
Okay. Is <laughs> which, this a precursor to MDMA? Precursor to MDMA, um, which he like loves. He has got he has a great experience. He's like um almost all my inhibitions have drained away. I have unlimited latitude. Like he's talking about lying on the dance floor surrounded by all these people just being like, I am, you know, one with the universe, blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you more about this off screen, but uh, I was listening to True Anon and they were talking offhandedly about MDMA being the byproduct of crowd control research uh, chemical production by apartheid South Africa. Holy shit. And one of the reasons that it got moved into the UK is that that is one of its production origins. Wow. I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah. That's that's. I don't know. Crazy. I haven't looked too much into that, but, you know, given the history of LSD and MK Ultra, uh, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. It's uh, if it's it, it's probably um, has more truth to it than not. You know, it might be the apartheid go- government of South Africa, but you got to no, you don't under any circumstance have to hand it to them. You don't have to hand it to them. <laughs> we could have figured it out a different way. Yes. Uh, that's just science. So he, what else? Um, what, one, another thing I wanted to listen to from this time period, he gets now Rogers to remix their song, the reflex. Okay. And then he ends up actually producing their next album. I really want to hear this, the reflex remix to get okay, that Nile Rogers that. magic. Let's see. So that's probably the reflex dance remix. I think so. Okay. Oh yeah. You know, it sounds like uh, Simon's voice is really smoothed out after uh, three albums. Yeah, he definitely gets better. They've done some personnel shifts by this time too, right? I think they are still at the original uh, lineup. Three Kings plus two lineup. Three, the three Taylor Kings plus the two other guys. Oh, and yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice and weird. It's just, I mean, at this time, uh, Chic itself is basically ethered by anti-disco sentiment. Yes. Uh, and the smartest white people hire the, the, the yeah. Chic people. So it's like, you know, we just talked about Blondie. David Bowie eventually does in excess. Mm-hmm. Like, right, right, right. It's, ki- it's kind of funny that like, the white 80s pop stars and bands are like uh this like it's almost like uh, we got to get we got to get the Nile Rodgers to the people somehow yes like we we need this yes exactly uh, everyone's just too stupid to realize it um so they're you know they're still John Taylor says they're performing at like the top of their game but he's starting to use drugs during performances Ugh, never not a, a good, good sign that's a good li- bad line to cross he said he 
I was so anxious to get to the end of a main set, head for the backstage bathrooms and snort up $100 of cocaine uh, through a rolled up $100 bill. It felt so big time, so rock star. <laughs> Which, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it did. Yeah, but it, I mean, the flip side of that is like, when Duran Duran first got together, they were like, we, we want to play Madison Square Garden by like 1985. Mm-hmm. I think they did it in like 84. Four. Congrats! But he said by the time that we, we made it to that part, I was more concerned with about like a roadie stage, yeah. of roadie scoring for me than I was about like enjoying playing MSG. So oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then it's uh another mid eighties highlight is them doing the the Bond song, mm-hmm. the Bond song, the Bond song of "You to a Kill." Uh, can we cue that up? And that's produced by Bernard Edwards because I think Niall was busy. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I feel like this song is uh like kind of maligned okay at least this movie is kind of maligned which bond is this i believe this is the one with grace jones okay and christopher walken is that that is that or i was gonna say is that orc five it might be orc five Yeah, this is the last, the last Roger Moore one. This, yeah, this is Roger. uh, This is Christopher Walken as Max Zorin, Uh, (laughs) a psychopathic industrialist, the product of a Nazi genetic experiment, Mm. and Grace Jones is his henchman in this and uh it culminates in a fight on a zeppelin i believe okay or at least there is a fight on a zeppelin in this we should watch this i'm sure it's uh extremely goofy yes i feel like you you hear the production quality shifting a little everything feels like a little kind of overproduced in this one yeah a little crispier I, I will be, I don't love this, but I will be an apologist for this song in the sense that like a, a up-tempo groove as a Bond song is always a good idea. Basically, yes. once once Skyfall happened, like there, yeah. everything, it's like, yeah, no, it needs to be like a very slow ballad with a standard orchestra. Yeah. Like Bill, I, I, I found Billie Eilish's uh, Bond song to be incredibly disappointing. Uh, uninspiring. Yeah. Because he didn't Billie Eilish about Snooze, it. Snooze fest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Give it the uh, give it the bad guy production style more than anything. Give it a ba- sh- give it a bouncy evil baseline. Yeah. You shouldn't. It is my opinion that you shouldn't be able to perform a Bond song while sitting on a stool. <laughs> they did earn a Golden Globe nomination for this song but they did not win but that means that maybe they're uh, if you just include nominations they could be a, maybe a nominated ego Duran Duran Jukebox Musical when? that probably would be good like basically any band from the 80s could do a Jukebox Musical I mean I feel like we shouldn't say this uh, because it would spoil our idea this is copyright us we have long theorized about this isn't a band from the 80s but it's a band that deserves a Jukebox Musical The Killers The Killers the killers. Their yeah. songs are super dramatic. They have a billion, uh, a, like a, a musical's worth of hits. Yeah. 
And they're very narr like it's they've got like characters and yeah, like all their songs have like characters and narrative that in them. I think could fit into something they're, non non biographical. You know, dramatic. not like fucking Jersey Boys or whatever. Yeah, they're dramatic in Wait, that. Wait, is Jersey Boys this the story of the those boys? <laughs> those boys or is from it Jersey? about a totally separate group of boys? Uh, it uh, weirdly takes place in uh, North Carolina. No, that's not true. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, the, the killer should have a, a jukebox musical, uh, and the plot of it is basically Mad Max. Uh, Escape from Nevada, but it's all set to killer songs and stage as an elaborate musical. Great. Yep. Sign me up. Great. Um, so that's obviously, that's a, a wonderful feather in the cap for those uh, Duran Duran boys. It's, it's, it's a Bond song. Yes. Uh, but there's a shift as the, the mid 80s, early mid 80s turn into the later 80s uh, that John Taylor notes, which is basically like the first half of the decade is very decadent. And the second half, you got to have a conscience. Mm -hmm. uh, and that comes the, the, the tide turns with a uh, um, live aid and Bob Geldof sure. doing, do they know it's Christmas? And the way he introduces that, he says in November, Simon got a call from Bob Geldof. Have you seen this shite about Ethiopia? <laughs> We've got to do something. Oh my God. I mean, we always suspected as much, but it is very funny. We, to learn I it. think we, we did, we did a bit where it was, it was basically like, like, have you heard about, have you heard about Ethiopia? It's terrible. It's terrible. What can we do? Uh, but to learn We've that it is every bit something. as stupid as you would imagine it being. It's also the the Russell Brand. Uh, uh, we, we've got to do something. A African child slash we, we've got to do something. It's just, it's so fun. Like you just wake up one day with like a, a bolt out of the blue. We've got to we've got to use the power of you're rock to a, solve you're famine in a Ethiopia. Good time. You're in Duran Duran. You just did the the bond song. You're, blo you're blowing rails in the in the, in bathroom, the bathroom of, of MSG. MSG. And here's Bob Geldof saying, "But what have you done about Ethiopia lately?" Yeah. Uh, and you know what? He's not wrong. He's not wrong. But he's not right either. Yeah. Uh, so, certainly in the in the. Uh, the economy of all the political and social economy of all forces in the world. If we were to look at the, uh, the, the, the problems facing Ethiopia, the, the correct answer is not call up the members of Duran Duran and say, what, what are you guys doing? Yes. It's funny that that has fallen so far out of favor. This, this celebrity cause super group mm -hmm. thing. Um, I know they did like they did. We are the world for Haiti. Yes. Um, and it was a goddamn mess. Now the celebrities choose to sing imagine over uh, TikTok to encourage people to, uh, I guess, imagine a home. better world. Yeah. Like that's the thing is like the message has gotten so yeah, muddled, yeah. like the cause based music. And I feel like at least Bob Geldof was like, what is the problem? Famine. How are we going to solve it? Huge fundraising single where Bono says tonight, just be glad it's them and not you. Oh God. Yeah. I didn't realize that, that was line Bono's is. line in that. Yeah. Um, so Duran Duran participates in, in that. Um, and then they also participate. Oh, what are they just like in the background clapping? Yeah. The, the chorus I think is huge. I yeah. don't, I don't even know. He plays bass and so does sting. <laughs> John Taylor plays bass as, as well as sting. Um, and so also like the other guys are starting to settle down and get married. And John finds a Danish supermodel named Renee Simonson that he has like somewhat of a long-term relationship with. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's tensions mounting in the band solo and side projects are starting to happen. Okay. And it, they're kind of in, introduced innocuously like, Oh yeah, you know, why don't I just do something with the three tailors or whoever the fuck sure. it is? Are you familiar with the power station? Uh, no, that is, um, John Taylor's side group with, um, Robert, 
Palmer okay. of a pre-addicted to love. Am I am I getting this right? Yeah, addicted to love. Yeah. And he did simply irresistible as well. So it was Robert Palmer. It was one other guy from Duran Duran. Uh, and one guy, I think Tony Thompson drummed from Chic. So like that's the power station. Okay. Simon's like doing some other they shit. They apparently so. did a cover of uh, Get It On, Bang a Gong, the T-Rex song. Yes. Should we listen to sure. it? Sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate they're trying to do something with it <laughs> right off the right out of the gate. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like Duran Duran covering Bang a Gong. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It does have that just like 80s out production. This seems like it could have appeared on like the soundtrack to Roadhouse. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sure. Maybe nothing to write home about, but have to switch that chord. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe uh, the cover is not a, a good song to evaluate them with because uh, "Bang uh, Bang a Gong" is just a good song to begin with. Yeah, you can, it's hard. It's hard to to mess up. Um. Uh, yeah. So he's. He's got the side projects. Side projects are starting to kind of like corrode the the group feeling of the band. And so by the time they do Live Aid, which they do the Philadelphia concert, not the British one. Not the British one. Funny. Uh, he just describes like getting together, like the five of them, like just feels like going into enemy territory. Mm. So it's been, I mean, it's just it, it's a tale as old as time. Like everyone just gets involved in their own stuff. And, and now we've gotten to the point in which the band has become a business yes. and not a creative partnership. Yes. It's just something that they all have to do. Yeah. And so that Live Aid is the last time that they are on stage as the original fivesome for 18 years. Wow. Yeah. So the, there will be more breakups than like, you know, threes or fours, but it takes a while for them to, to get back on it. Um, and he, John is like using a lot of drugs and he, he uses this one particular scene to illustrate his mindset where he's like, he's li- he's in his apartment in New York. He's doing Coke with his friend. They're playing the piano for like eight hours, like through the entire night, sure. like trying to figure something out and like, don't ever do it. Uh, and the sun comes up and he says, was that the sun rising on my new life? It rose like a livid orange scar over JFK up across the park. Did the colors have a mildly accusatory aspect or was I being paranoid? <laughs> See, yeah, very, uh, very Hunter Thompson mi- mindset. Yeah, yeah. So, th- I mean, it's, I, I, I Josh, but it's, he's not, he's, he's not, not in a good d- mindset. Yeah, he's not in a, a good mindset. And it's, mindset. it's funny, it's, it really isn't like Duran Duran is a band of five wild party boys. Like, he's really he's taking the, the one lead on, on the edge. abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, as we get to the late 80s, he's also like, so what? He was 60. So he's like, I mean, he's in his 20s during the He's 80s. in his late 20s, I think, at this yeah, point. Yeah, like 28 or yeah, something. He's, like, yeah. he's still a young guy. Um, but he, so he notes, he's like, the times are changing. Like, the two biggest, 
mid to late eighties upstarts are Madonna and Prince, both of whom are basically sober. You, like they are mm-hmm. not like drug Part, people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you also have like Jane's addiction and guns and roses. So like the, the sound is changing and, sure. and Duran Duran's sound is not as cool anymore. No, they don't do uh they don't do ri- ripping solos no. or operatic vocals. Right. And you know, the, I, I think well, they, they, they uh, push operatic. They, they change the sound a little bit. They push it on a little bit, but it's, it's not, it's they're not still guns Duran and roses. Duran. They're still Duran Duran. I mean, they're an 80s sound. Yeah. Um, he notes that they declined in popularity, you know, once he literally couldn't walk around on the street without being mobbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also had like a, a camp outside of his house for like several years of just fans, like five to 30 fans just outside of his who apartment, would just, like live outside of his apartment in Birmingham. Jesus. Um, but now he can go wherever he wants, except Italy. <laughs> <laughs> and he specifically shouts out Italy as kind of, keeping the gerandemonium going when no one else did. Uh, Can I play a little bit off their 1988 album? Uh, Big thing. Yes. Um, I will. I'll do the one that seems uh, appropriate drug parentheses. It's just a state of mind. Cool. Very late 80s. He's got that uh, musical, that that bass effect that um, Genuine used for Pony. Out. Out. I mean, this is like, this is 88, so they're like edging into uh, like CNC music factory territory. Right, yeah. I searched drug parentheses. It's just a state of mind to figure out what the lyrics are. And a Duran Duran like fan wiki came up and it says this song is infamous for causing a massive disagreement between John Taylor and the rest of the band. He preferred Daniel Abraham's original mix of the song over the final release mix, but was outvoted, causing him to nearly quit the band in protest. I don't think he mentioned that in the book. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> he's too he's too sore over it. Yes. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 very late 80s, very late 80s. Uh, but Italy is like, uh, come into our loving bosom. Like we yes. got you. He talks about, and th- th- once again, this is an industry thing that I didn't really realize is that touring in Italy really was not, Italy was not a regular tour, European tour stop for most people because okay. corruption was so bad. Like basically I like just the, it was not really like a safe place to tour. They mentioned some band when they played their, was it Lou Reed got firebombed? Oh God. Like, it was just kind of chaos. And it really wasn't until the eighties that like Italy kind of smoothed things out enough to well, those, uh, be welcoming seventies in the, in Italy was, uh, literally known as the days of lead. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, right. Maybe not the best time to be, to be, uh, vanning your, your good times pop band through yes, Italy. Right. 
Um, but they do they do a full tour of Italian soccer stadiums. <laughs> and uh, he said of playing in Milan, uh, 50,000 happy hooligans in a June heat wave. They had to be hosed down every 10 minutes and, lo- <laughs> and, and, and loved it. <laughs> Duran Duran. Oh, we love to see you. <laughs> Back. Get down. Uh, um, John dumps his his Danish supermodel girlfriend, Renee, because he thinks that he's gotten into this weird paranoid mindset where he thinks that uh, Duran Duran would be more successful if he seemed available to female fans. Okay, yeah, which, that does uh, seem a bit of delusional. That's like, that. yeah. I mean, he and he notes, he's like, that's odd. But then he immediately gets with uh, Amanda Decadene. I don't know if it's Decadene or Decadenet. It's... it's must be French. So she's like a wild child, like race car driver's daughter. Okay. Uh, TV is she, presenter. Is she no, I think she's British. Maybe there's some French uh, w- within, but she, they basically like, she gets pregnant like a few months after they get together. Okay. So it's like, it's one of those, um, but they get married. She immediately, when, when John's parents are like, Amanda, like, Oh, we're so happy to welcome you into our family. She's like, family you're welcoming into your family. <laughs> and she literally takes two friends and goes to Barbados to like hide. <laughs> and John was like, yeah, I knew her well enough at this point that you just, you know, if she wants to run away to Barbados, you got to let her run away to Barbados. <laughs> so he's in this like weird thing with this lady. And his, fa- his family's like the mother of your children. He's like, yeah, she'll be back. Yeah, she, it's, it's fine. We're fine. Uh, she's also, yeah, she's a full decade younger than him too. Sure. So he's, he's saying, which puts her right in the pocket to be old for the strokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's also like, you know, she wants to like go out and like uh, have fun. And he's like, he starts to feel his age at the age of like 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who c- couldn't relate. Don't know what he's talking about. So Duran Duran is kind of chugging along. They finally get a hit song in a second decade. Yes. Which is called Ordinary World. And that's in 94. Uh, off their self-titled 1993 album. <laughs> Duran Duran. Once again, I think we said this before. When you've self-titled after like six albums, yes, you're running out of ideas. You're running out of ideas. But you know, maybe this is one of the weird called shots where they were like, you know, six albums going going downhill, hadn't had a big hit in like five or six years, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Everything you thought about you knew about the band off the table. This is. Duran Duran. Boom. Yes. Huge hit. Ordinary yeah. World. It's the uh it's it's the album title version of my most personal album ever. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite uh marketing tropes of being like, this is my per- this is my most personal album ever. Until now I was fucking with you. <laughs> now I'm getting real. Has Lady Gaga ever referred to an album as her pers- most personal album ever? I don't know if she said it verbatim, but Joanne would have been that, that, that album for her. But maybe she's, she's like, sp- I'm wearing shorts instead of me. Yeah. I'm wearing, and it's I, also I'm wearing it's, it's named after her, her dead her aunt. Dead, yeah, her dead aunt. But she, but maybe she was smart enough to not even fall for that cliche. If she said it, she would know exactly what she was doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've got acoustic acoustic guitar has entered the chat. <laughs> oh. I'll, I'll, say, I'll tell you what, though. You know, I have sympathy for that late 80s production style. And, and some of the stuff they're doing, this at least sounds like a real song. Yes. You know, as opposed to a a, conver- a, 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 a bizarre train wreck. Not bizarre. It, kind of train wreck of Random. Like, production effects and, and stuff like that. Mm. 
this is also so in the vein of like the Guns N' Roses ballad. Yeah, the gu- or, like November Rain. Yeah. Of. Do you remember the Monster Ballads CD? I do. Yeah. I do. But also, it seems like it could be, you know, it's a little forward looking in the way that it seems like it could be on maybe any like teen movie soundtrack of like the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Hey, good job, Duran Duran. You made a hit. Yeah. A 90s hit. A 90s hit. We were rooting for you. Yeah. And kind of right in the right place, like 13 years after your first album, where it's like, maybe like, oh shit, Duran Duran's back and they have a hit? I would see I would see a Duran Duran show yeah, if they toured again. edging into to Legacy. Legacy, yeah. yeah. At least they, to my knowledge, either John Taylor doesn't mention it, you know, they don't do the ill-advised, like, hip-hop album or the way that, like, I think Aerosmith did. Well, Aerosmith did the early advised hip-hop album. Yes. They didn't do did an they album. Do they the just new, did crossover with Did the they end. do a new metal song? They made some mistakes. Wait, I'm not going to say that Aerosmith didn't make a... They didn't make some mistakes. We, we know the mistakes. All right. Yeah, this is, you know, this is 94 for people who are not wrapped up in, in like, Kurt Cobain or the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Honestly, this, I I like this. This is, like, not too cheesy to me. Maybe that little high acoustic noodle part, but. We've got a, we've got an acoustic guitar, so. I don't like it, I don't like it, but I respect it. It's it's it helps that it's an '80s band doing this song rather than uh, or like an early '80s band doing the, uh, that kind of song rather than uh, uh, like Guns N' Roses or whatever yes. uh, doing that where it's all it's all just too much. Yes. <laughs> um. So so they have is this there, hit. Is yeah. their next album not to skip ahead? Is it all covers? I don't know. Is it? I'm just looking. I'm just looking up on. Go ahead. Go for it. So they, they've got this hit, but John is basically at the end of the road, uh, substance abuse wise. Like he is, mm-hmm. he's got like the wife and kid, but he's still, you know, doing a ton of drugs, like ending up like he's talking about, they, he moves to LA with his wife and his daughter and like, just like peeing in random alleyways. Like he's just not, he's not well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally he is convinced to go to rehab, which rehab for British people is apparently just extra tough because you have to talk about your feelings yes and like be vulnerable mm-hmm. and he's like that was that was insane he's like he basically said like i'm not i could never watch reality tv like after 30 days in rehab like talking about my feelings like that's more than i would ever need to like experience yes. again. but he, he leaves sober so that's good I yeah don't think, i don't think any slip-ups just after just 30 days yeah he wa- he wanted it he impressive yeah he didn't have the, the kind mean, of rock bottom of like you know, it's more mundane rock bottom, but he was just like, I can't do this anymore. Right. Um, so yeah, he, he gets out. I mean, a decade's he, a long time to be nursing that. But then he leaves, he leaves Duran Duran. He basically left around the time of rehab. He was just like, I can't. Did he officially quit the band? He quit or? the band. Hmm. I mean, he quit the band. I'm not sure what their deal is structured as. I think he's still, I mean, now he's in it. Mm-hmm. So whatever. But he, one, one activity he did in his off Duran Duran time is he played music with another fave of the pod, Duff McKagan. Oh, hey. In the super group Neurotic Outsiders. Two basses? Yeah. Neurotic Outsiders? Actually, Duff might have played guitar in Neurotic Outsiders. Uh, well, still, it's got two bassist energy, which is 
honestly, as much as I love bassists, you can't have two bassists <laughs> in a band. Sure. Uh, their next album was indeed, as I referenced before, a a album of covers, which I don't and think what, anybody. But what year came? Ninety five. That would have been. I don't think he would have played on that. Played on that, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably why that came out. It sounds like he maybe was a uh, fairly big creative driver of it. Um, uh, Neurotic Outsiders was Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, Matt Sorum and Duff from Guns N' Roses, and John Taylor. Uh, Billy Idol was also involved in an early lineup. Wow. That, I mean, <laughs> Neurotic Outsiders. This is like I wish we. I don't know where people aren't linking and building as much as I want them to. Like I want. A well, super group with like things- Post Malone and like, I don't know, the drummer, like, I mean, Post Malone, Travis Barker. Yeah. Get some weird beat. I don't. Well, none of the, the thing is that none of these albums ever uh, go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, super groups are ultimately, it seems to be something to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who knows how much this sold. This also busy. has a, a incredibly uh, 90s post grunge album cover. Uh, which is that's something that looks utterly disgusting and off-putting. <laughs> but here is Jerk from the Neurotic Outsiders album. Great. I mean, this just kind of sounds like if the Sex Pistols had kept, kept making music into the 90s to me. Mm-hmm. With a post, with a grunge influence vocal pattern, right? You know what this is? Hmm. It's it's rock it's rock music, but it doesn't have pop punk aesthetic. No, you know what I mean. Like it doesn't have the flavor. It's just like a yeah. rock. It's just a rock song. I don't know. It's oh, fine. Shit. Is this a Devo cover? I don't think so. It's a song called Planet Earth. This is a cover. This is uh, the Clash's Janie Jones. Okay. This sounds like someone that Green Day fired from a producing <laughs> role. You know what I mean? Uh, must be fan. Uh. Fun for uh, Taylor to play this fast, though. Sure. I mean, I guess he is going back to his roots. He did start a punk band first. I mean, Janie Jones is a good song. I don't know if that's a good cover of it. Um. So yeah, we're 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 veering toward the end, the end of the book. Um. He he divorces Amanda to Cadenet, freeing her up uh, in about a, a decade or so to <laughs> hook up with a stroke. Uh, he gets with, he meets at a party and eventually marries the founder of Juicy Couture. 
Wow. Yeah. That's a, I feel like that's a good get for him. Uh, I think it is. He, he talked to her name is, um, get Gela, Gela, Gela Nash Taylor. Um, she's a cutie. G E L L A. G E L A. She, she cute. Uh, she's from Texas. Interesting. Uh, he meets her and you know, unlike the kind of models slash like actor slash like whatever that he's probably been messing with for the past like decade, he calls her the queen of the musical malaprop. Third eye, <laughs> third eye blind becomes three blind mice. Uh, she, she met a, a, like a label guy and was like, Oh, I know. I understand you. Uh, you, you've uh, produced a uh, Bruce Springfield. And then the room is silent. She goes, Rick Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, probably good for a person in his position to get with somebody who like gen- generally like appreciates music. But like when you're like, hey, I was in Duran Duran. They're like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do think there is some, some value in like having someone who is fame adjacent. Yes. Obviously, all these these famous people are. I mean, but by the time he met her, I don't I don't think Juicy had reached its apex yet. She was on the rise. Yeah. But also, yeah, just so a musically like not inclined person, like kind of smart. I think there's I mean, they're still together. If her name is, is still uh still Taylor. Yeah, they got married in, in 1999. Great. Uh, So good for him. And then, you know, after some swirlings about, he meets back up with Simon because his wife is like, Simon, they like see him at a restaurant. They're like, Simon, come over. Like, let's have a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds great. Yeah, no, she sounds dope. Um, I want to learn more about this person who made, who, who, who made a mid-aughts uh, like fashion juggernaut by literally being like, wonder if I took the gothic script font font and printed juicy over the ass of these sweatpants yeah. in like a gold lame. Yeah. I mean, yeah, d- just jewel-toned, incredibly soft sweatsuits. It's, it's such a good idea. That were like, in- and then like all the branding parts about it being incredibly gaudy and then just mark- market them as like, yeah, you would buy this, uh, you know, next to, uh, um, and you would market it next to like Louis Vuitton. Yeah, right. That's the thing is she she's she's so genius because it's something that really should have cost about $30, but I think she charged like $120 yeah. for it. And just being like, "Well, it's nice." Yeah. It's it's couture. So anyway, yeah. They they seem they seem happy. Um but she gets Simon back in the fold and then they have a, a little chat and then they're like, "What if we the five of us reunite for real?" And they do it and he said it uh it it tests, you know, every skill he has for sobriety uh, gets tested just with the, you know, just it, being it, in the same room with the, as these guys. Yeah, just like get it, you know, it's not as easy as just being like, yeah, let's be Duran Duran again. There's at this point years and years yeah, of yeah. egos and, and struggle. But uh, he finally, he said, he's like not really doing well and they're playing in Japan. And the night before their show in Japan, he said, there was one last call I could make. I had to hit my knees and ask a higher power for help. So at this point he had been sober, but like not, not really like working all the steps. And at the end he found it's, it's not like God, God, but he's like, he's, he's like, had to do a bunch it. of Japanese people right outside my door with a lot of drugs ready to drown. The fans are ready to drown me in soft toys. <laughs> the stage is going to be covered in plushies. Wait, did you mention that earlier? No, I didn't. Yeah, you, you told this to me off mic while you were reading. Yeah, his his main note from playing Japan in in the 80s is that uh, the, the Japanese fans would just make it rain plushies <laughs> like you would just be hit from all sides by by soft toys by soft toys cuddly toys and he's like 
God, Lord, give me the strength to resist these plushies. <laughs> Probably have drugs inside them. Yeah. Um, and then he, you know, he, he finds the higher power. He says he wakes up the next day from a deep, restful, much-needed sleep. Today is show day. Your name is John fucking Taylor. And that's how the book ends? <laughs> it actually ends with him saying how great he had a time at playing Coachella in 2011. Aww. But that was that was like the last, like, it was kind of... The, it probably should have ended with that. Yeah. Uh, shall we listen to a track from 2007 of them featuring Justin Timberlake, which I feel like is a good crossover? Yes. This is Duran Duran, Red Carpet Massacre. Cool I'll just name. say two things. I mean, you should look these up yourselves, but Duran Duran Red Carpet Massacre, pretty good album cover for the mid 2000s. Okay. Uh, can you look this up, Molly? It's called Red Carpet Massacre. Yeah. I think this really fits in with that late aughts, uh, um, you know, paparazzi aesthetic. I'm thinking about, you know, like Britney, Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan type stuff. Oh, yeah. It's super cool. Right? Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Here, I'll put on this while I go to the next one. Okay, now keep that Google image open. Okay. This is Falling Down, featuring Justin Timberlake off Red Carbon Massacre. Now look up 2011's All You Need Is Now. Okay. Is this Justin beatboxing? Probably. I would imagine. He loved doing that shit in 2007. He, st- he probably still does. Okay. Awful album cover. Really terrible. Who did that? I have no idea. Incredibly messy. One of the worst. Mm -hmm. It's like pink and scrawled and there's weird layers and overlays and like glitches. It's awful. And there's a big D behind everything. It's like. Yeah. Awful. I do appreciate Duran Duran trying to do like a song like this with like mid 2000s aesthetic. I wonder if the only Justin Timberlake feature is the beatboxing at the beginning in this. I, I wonder if that's enough to get him the feature on this. Um, apparently, the, the music video for this song, it centers around models in rehab with the members of Duran Duran acting as doctors and therapists, <laughs> wearing white suits and thick glasses, counseling a group of models and passing around pills. The band has publicly stated that pop star Britney Spears served as inspiration for the main character in ah, the music video. Right. And, you know, Justin Timberlake's ex, she did not have a great 2007, as we all know. That's really interesting. Uh, So is that Duran Duran story? That is John Taylor's story. John Taylor of Duran Duran's story. Yes. Uh, You know what? They put out three albums since 2007. This would be, uh, as I said, Red Carpet Massacre, uh, All You Need Is Now. And just in 2017, is this? Uh, Paper Gods. Uh, and you know what? All music gives all of them three and a half stars. So pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I will say too, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of them when they got back together. Uh, oh yeah. For paper gods. Uh, and Stephen Hyden wrote about them for Grantland. Which we gotta get a, Stephen Hyden on the show. Sure. Uh, they look incredible just... that I have to say they all, they look good. Great. The boys look good. I guess we should probably go see Duran Duran. I would see any of these bands out. Duran Duran, or the, any of the bands I brought up at the very beginning. Duran Duran, Depeche Mode. Does Human League still exist? Probably not. I don't know. Um, 
Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Good, I don't know. Good story. I mean, it went basically as I would have expected. The arc, the arc doesn't change much. Yeah, I mean, the I guess... The industry stuff was really interesting to me. Yeah. Just the little behind-the-scenes tweaks of how to get Duran Duran more I'm, famous. I'm interested in the the full history of the uh, the Isle, the island recording studio on... on um, what was that place? Marrakech? Uh, Montserrat. Montserrat. Yeah. I'm sure that that is a uh, wellspring of stories of decadence and depravity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I like Duran Duran songs. And, you know, it seems like uh, Taylor uh, was a, you know, it seemed like they, they were very collaborative. But Taylor, you know, seemed like he was he was one of the big creative drivers of the of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Birmingham boy made good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, any other, uh, any other things that we want to talk about Duran Duran before we, uh, move on to the end of this episode? That's all I got. That's all you got. That's all I got. Well, uh, thank you for listening to, uh, what I just discovered yesterday from a, a, uh, a, a quick, quick glance on chartable is the, uh, is Lithuania's number one music prop podcast. Thank you, Lithuania. So if you are out there in Lithuania listening to this, uh, shoot us a line and, uh, We'll thank you by name on this uh, on the podcast. Yeah, we will send we will send you a, a trinket or something. We should make like uh like stickers or stickers? something. Stickers. You think we're ready for stickers after three years? Uh, I think after three years we can make some stickers. We can handle it. Uh, we did a big mailbox at the end of last episode. Um, new, so we'll do a new mail maybe next episode. Uh, if you've uh, you know if you've mailed us, hold tight. Uh, we'll get back to you Hold in a little bit. Is there any other thing that we need to bring up? I would like to shout out. There's been some pretty incredible like uh, memes being made by the uh, the Instagram handles at pretty good with words spelled like you would think it would be spelled. Great. Uh, some some real deep cuts of uh, uh, cr- you know cross pollinating and introducing lore with uh, stuff from bands like the Hold Steady. Cool. I don't know. It's, it's kind of crazy. Go check it out. Memes. 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 I love, uh, I love, I love to get memes. We are going to continue doing um, live streams every once in a while. Uh, we're going to do another one tonight, but you won't know about this until I won't get because I won't get this episode out until tomorrow tonight at the is very meaningless. earliest. Yeah, uh, but check back in maybe next Tuesday, May twenty sixth, and possibly that Friday, May 29th. We might do another music video power hour. Yeah, depending on whether or not I'm motivated to get my. 2000s indie music video power hour together. Uh, but until then, follow us on Twitter at and intro pod or send us an email at and introducing pod at gmail.com. And our SoundCloud is as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and rate and review us to, there too. I just checked in on our ra- ratings and reviewings and our most recent one. Uh, shout out to username shell emoji. Nice. Uh, that's literally the emoji for shell for saying as a, a a woman about to start an all female jam band. This is my favorite podcast. Salute. Uh, send us links to your all female jam band. Yes. And uh, if anyone, yeah, if anyone wants to start a, an all female jam band, I would highly encourage it. We have already said that we are open to manage it. We're yeah, we're we're down to manage it. Chris will not enforce. Uh, I well, I don't want to speak for you, but you said that they needed to change their name to Royal Jelly. I'm just suggesting that as okay. a as a that's name. That's not I a hard and fast rule. So. Uh, keep, keep the names open. So rate and review us. Just on I'm iTunes. with her is already taken. Yes. Uh, maybe stronger together. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, may, maybe, um, uh, 
big big structurals. Anyway. Uh, until no, you would need a name. Sorry, it'd have to be like Molly O'Brien and the big structurals. And the big structurals, yes, exactly. Sorry. Uh, until then, we'll see you in another two-ish weeks with another episode of And Intro Juicing. <laughs>